The subject again, church this morning is I'm not going to let you mishandle me. This is an interesting subject to preach on because this is a complicated scripture to draw inspiration from. Church, it is no overstatement to say that the verses that we have heard read this morning are complicated. David, we are told, has just completed a military campaign against his age-old nemesis, the Philistines. And after completing that military campaign, he is on his way back to Jerusalem when he gets the idea, he gets the inspiration to take his army and go to Abinadab's house to reclaim the Ark of the Lord. After reclaiming the Ark, David and all 30,000 of his army are said to be engaged in a festive and triumphant celebration full of dancing, music, and festivity to mark the occasion. However, this joyous occasion takes a sudden and sullen turn when the oxen carrying the Ark of the Lord stumble. This is a complicated text because the Bible then goes on to say that when the Ark stumbles, to keep the ark of the Lord from falling. Uzzah, son of Abinadab, who was tasked with caring for the ark, Uzzah, whose name means strength, Uzzah, who only desired to use his strength for good to prevent harm from befalling the ark, Uzzah, who did not mean to do any wrong, Uzzah, who only was trying to do what he perceived was right, Uzzah, the Bible says, reached out his hand to the ark. And because he reached out his hand and touched the ark, the Bible says that God's anger blazed against him. And God struck Uzzah in his tracks. And Uzzah was killed, left to lay beside the ark. Church, it is no overstatement to say that this is a complicated text and portion of scripture. It is complicated first because God's character does not line up with what we know God's character to be. God in the text is vindictive. God in the text is seemingly reckless. God in the text appears vengeful. God whose nature we believe to be loving, just, merciful and forgiving, here is neither loving, just, merciful, or forgiving. The God in this text is the God whom many of us may have stopped going to church because of. The God whom many of us don't does not feel jive with our practice or belief in faith. The God whom many of us believe is representative of everything that is wrong with religion. Bible scholars themselves struggle to reconcile the God in this text. And as I was preparing to preach this morning, I noticed that in our lectionary that we follow for our liturgical calendar, even our lectionary skips over these verses, skips over these verses in the narrative to instead emphasize 
David's worship and dancing before the Lord and has that to serve as our main point of focus, the main thing we are to get out from this text. Yet the complexity in the text is drawn from an oral tradition that has carried these stories forward as sacred. Stories that have been passed down for generation to generation because their significance in the community holds a lot of importance. Stories we have inherited because they are memorable. Stories we have inherited because there is a communal understanding of something lying between the lines of the text that must be wrestled with in order to tease out the divine behind the text. Like the story of Jacob and his wrestling with God on the shores of the river Jabbok. The, the ancient Jewish people understood that in these complicated, in these complex texts, there was something that must be wrestled with. Something that must be wrestled with to access the full blessings that are inherent in the text. Therefore, when we wrestle with these verses, when we run to the text rather than from the text, we find that there is still something useful. There is still something valuable. There is still something that can bless us for our life and our living and how it is we practice our faith. I know this might not feel comfortable to many of us in church today, but my challenge, my charge this morning is that even in complicated, complex texts such as these, there is still something within these verses with which to be a blessing to us. Still something in this verse, in these verses that has something of value in order to help us understand how to better live and walk our lives of faith. And as I was wrestling and as I was interrogating and as I was running to this text, what revealed itself to me was a message about how it is God is calling us, how God is empowering us to set boundaries. Mm. A message about how we set boundaries, how we set holy boundaries and how it is that we set or we reset the standard for how we are handled by those in our lives. God shows us in this text that boundaries are important for a life of faith. Boundaries are important and that despite the protests, the feelings, and the frustrations of those around us, we are in fact allowed, we are in fact empowered to set boundaries, to set standards on how we are handled, that we are permitted to expect to be handled with respect, that we are encouraged to expect that we are handled with love, that we are empowered because we are created in the image and likeness of God to expect that we are handled with care, that whether it's in our relationships with our spouse, our relationships with our 
co-workers, our relationships with our bosses, our parents, and dare I even say our children, that we are empowered, that it is okay to set standards and to set boundaries on how we are treated, on how we are handled. The scripture this morning teaches us that it is in fact okay to tell those around us that I am not gonna let you handle me just any old kind of way. And it is okay for us to set a boundary on how people treat us, on how people talk to us, on how people engage with us and how people approach us. If I may, I've already talked to you at one time that the gospel is hip hop. And so if you'll let me, sometimes it's okay that we take a lesson from the gospel according to Birdman. We got to take a lesson from the gospel of Birdman, and we have to tell folks sometimes that you're going to have to put some respect on our name. And I'm not going to tell it to you no more. Because despite whatever you thought this relationship was, despite whatever it is you thought I was, I have got to prioritize my own sacredness. I've got to prioritize my own holiness. I've got to prioritize my own God likeness. And it does not matter who you are. But as the subject says this morning, I'm not going to let you mishandle me. Boundaries are a complicated issue. And I'm not going to sugarcoat that this is a complicated text. But this text is complicated. Why? Because boundaries are complicated. Setting holy and healthy boundaries are complicated for all of us because in one way or another, we don't oftentimes want to be perceived as mean or hateful people. We struggle with setting boundaries because we don't want to hurt people's feelings or to make people upset. We struggle because we don't want to lose relationships or we fear missing out on opportunities. We struggle with setting boundaries because we don't want our new established standards to offend anybody or inadvertently hurt the people we say we care about. Whether it's at home, or whether it's on the job, we oftentimes struggle with setting boundaries because we believe our obligations or maybe even our salaries. Mm, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. We struggle with setting boundaries because we believe they require us to be nimble. Our obligations require us to be nimble. Our salaries require us to be nimble to the point where we sacrifice our own health. We sacrifice our own well-being. We sacrifice our own sense of self-care, our own sense of dignity, and our own sense of respect. We struggle with boundaries because we struggle with how best to communicate our needs. We struggle with how best to communicate our desires. And what happens is that the more we struggle, the more we push to the side our need for self-care and our needs to reset our expectations so that then over time, frustration with our own struggles begins to build and to build and to build to the point that it boils over and boils over into an outburst that inadvertently finds unsuspecting people like Uza caught in the middle. 
God shows us in the text that it is important for us to set boundaries as an aspect of living a life of faith. And it is important that we prioritize these boundaries because if we do not, we might in fact cause more harm in the long run, not just to ourselves, but to others. So how is it in the text that God shows us or, or, or is it, or rather, why is it that God shows us that it's important for us to set boundaries? Well, I'm glad you asked. I got three quick things and I'm going to sit on down. The first is because it, the, the reason why it is important for us to prioritize setting holy and healthy boundaries first is because it requires us to assert our own holiness and sacredness to others as well as ourselves. Mm. Let me break this down for you. We have to go back to the text. And when we go to the text, we see that Uzzah, although his death and his killing was tragic and jarring and, 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 and confusing to our sensibilities, when we go back to the text, we realize that Uzzah was in fact not killed because of some haphazard action by God. Rather, the outburst against Uzzah, whether it be right or wrong, the outburst against Uzzah was the, outbur the outgrowth. The outburst was the outgrowth of much mishandling that preceded his touching of the ark when the oxen stumbled. Let me break it down to you like this. David's dancing and celebration with his 30,000 men, his 30,000 troops was not a worship service in the ways this scripture is often perceived. Mm. David's dancing in the first six verses of our text was not a worship service as we like to often teach this text. Rather, David's dancing and celebration with his 30,000 men, his 30,000 troops, was not a worship service, but was in fact a military parade. Mm. David's dancing was a military parade to celebrate military conquest, to celebrate military imperial Therefore, the spirit of the occasion while they were moving the ark was not a spirit of worship. Rather, it was a spirit of revelry. Let me say it like this. The spirit of the occasion around moving the ark of the Lord was a spirit of revelry rather than a spirit of reverence. Now, let me just say that there is nothing wrong with revelry. As a church, I know we love to party and there is nothing wrong with a good party. There's something wrong with a bad party, but there's nothing wrong with a good party. There is nothing wrong with listening to good music and having a good time. There is nothing wrong with dancing in the sanctuary. There is nothing wrong with being your full, beautiful and artistic self before the Lord. In fact, when we go to our gospels, we see that Jesus's very first miracle, him turning water into wine, wasn't just about trying to show that he was the son of God. Rather, it was about facilitating in other people's merriment. It was about trying to keep the party going. Jesus was a partier, was a person who loved revelry. So there is nothing wrong with revelry. However, our revelry should not come at the expense 
of our reverence, meaning our, our revelry should not come at the expense of how we handle holy things. Our worship and celebration shouldn't come at the expense of misgendering queer and trans bodies who make their home in our community. Mm. Sharing a good time should never result in black and brown and Asian bodies being made to feel unwelcomed in our company. Having a laugh should never be made at the expense of marginalized people's experiences. The phrase, we're just having fun, should never be used to justify harm and to leave people in our wake. Our revelry should never come at the expense of our reverence and how we handle holy things, because make no mistake, beloved, you are a holy thing. No matter where it is you come from, no matter who it is you love, no matter how it is you identify, no matter where it is you live, you have the divine fingerprint fashioned upon you. And it is the divine in whose image and likeness you are made is what makes you a holy thing. It is what makes you sacred. It is what makes you deserving of being handled with respect. And when we fully recognize and we fully accept our identity as holy, we can no longer accept other people's attempts at mishandling us. When we accept our identity as holy, we can no longer tolerate when our humanity is dismissed and our God-likeness is denied. When we accept our identity as holy, we can no longer accept existing in an environment that does not honor who we are, that does not respect what we say we need, that does not respect or treat us with respect that does not respect our experiences, our stories, or the breadth of realities that make us who we are. Therefore, setting holy and healthy boundaries is important because it asserts our own holiness to ourselves and others. It is important, church, it is important that we set holy and healthy boundaries. And the second reason it's important is because when we go back to the text, we see that it is important for us to establish who and what does and does not have access to you. Mm, can I say that again? Boundaries are important to help us establish who and what does and does not have access to you. Because when we go back to the text, we see that there are numerous things that are out of order in the process of them moving the ark from Abinadab's house to Jerusalem. The first thing that's out of order is because the ark of the Lord was never supposed to be carried on an ox cart. The ark of the Lord was never supposed to be carried on an ox, car on an ox cart because that's what the Philistines did. And because God instructed in the law that if the ark was to be moved, it was to be placed on poles and carried on the shoulders of the Levites and the priests. Second, so first, the, the ark was never supposed to be carried on an ox cart. And second, the regulations concerning the ark were out of order because Uzzah was never supposed to be traveling with the ark to begin with. Can I teach Bible for just a second? See, it says in the text that Uzzah and his other brother were carrying the ark. But what we don't see is that there is, in fact, a third brother. That, that Uzzah has an elder brother, and that brother's name is Eliezer. 
and we read about Eliezer in 1 Samuel, and Eliezer is the one from the house of Abinadab who was consecrated to be a priest to keep the ark. Uzzah was not consecrated to be a priest. His other brother was. Therefore, Uzzah was never supposed to be with the ark, was never supposed to be there in the first place. Uzzah was never supposed to touch the ark because Uzzah was not consecrated or consented to handle the ark. Mm. Are y'all hearing me? Therefore, Uzzah was struck by God for touching the ark, not because Uzzah meant to cause harm, not because Uzzah was trying to be malicious, but because he had reached out and touched that which he was not consecrated or consented to touch. Mm, I know I might be losing some of y'all with this, so let me just break it down like this. Let me explain it like this. Many of us know people who, like Uzzah, are in the middle of some business that they don't have any business in. People who are always trying to give their two cents on something when you never ask them to have two cents to begin with. People who try to define for you what does or does not constitute harmful, triggering, or racist behavior. Straight people who try to define what it is or is not to be homophobic. Men who think they have the right to legislate how women govern, govern their own bodies. White folks who think they can just reach out anytime they want and touch a black woman's hair. Mm. People often make the mistake of thinking that they have an implicit right to get in the middle of something, to handle or control something that they were not consecrated or consented to get in the middle of or to handle or to control. Am I preaching this morning? There are folks who think they have an implicit right to handle things they were never consecrated or consented to handle in the first place. And there was a word for behavior like this. You know what that word is? Entitlement. There's another word for this. You know what that is? Manifest destiny. Manifest de destiny that believes it has a divine right to go where it wants, do what it wants, and seize what it wants. There's another word for this. You know what that is? Colonialism. Mm that says that it can create boundaries and rules of its own without any regard to the boundaries and rules that are already set for it. This is what we call gerrymandered voting districts. There's another word called redline neighborhoods. There's another word called sham legislation to restrict the right to vote. There's another word called state legislatures trying to prohibit the teaching of critical race theory in public schools in order to not let white children feel guilty for the nation's truths. There's another word for this called white privilege. There's another word for this called militarism. There's another word for this called out of order. And when things are out of order, when folks attempt to handle that which they are not consecrated to handle, when they try to touch that which they are not consecrated to touch, when our boundaries are crossed, then we are the ones who get to decide how to reset the standard. We are the ones who get to decide what the proper protocols are going to be when allowing folks to have access to us. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to kill them, but it may mean we have to kill off some relationships. It may mean we have to kill off someone's access 
to us. It may mean we end up striking at someone's ego. We may end up striking at someone's feelings. We may have to strike at our state houses or our state legislatures, but we are the ones who get to decide the who, the what, the when, the why, and the how of the way which we are handled. Boundaries are important because we get to decide what we will accept, how we will be engaged, and who will have access to us. And this is my last point. I'm going to sit on down. I'm sorry I've been long today, church. Spirit has just been grabbing hold of me. The third thing, the third reason why it's important for us to have boundaries, holy and healthy boundaries, is because it resets the standard for how we expect to be treated. Can I say that again? Boundaries help us to reset the standard for how we expect to be treated. Because I don't know if anybody's ever noticed this, but most of the time, the people who are most offended by our boundaries are the ones who are custom to us not having any in the first place. Mm. The folks who get most offended about boundaries are the ones who are accustomed to us not having any in the first place, none that they are required or obligated to honor. And when we reset the standard of how we expect to be treated, those type of folks always want to get mad. They want to get resentful. And often they may even attempt to disregard you or they might attempt to reject you. We go back to the text one final time. We see this is exactly what happened with David. This is exactly David's actions in the text when God struck Uzzah because David got angry. David got afraid. Now, let me be clear. That's understandable. It's understandable why David did it, but David did it. David got angry. David got afraid. David was outraged. David was offended. And he was so offended to the point that he decided to give the ark to Obed-Edom, who was a Philistine. Remember, he had just defeated the Philistines a chapter before. He decided to give the ark of God to a Philistine, someone who was supposed to be his enemy, rather than to keep the ark of God for himself. David was so offended that he decided to give his prized possession to someone who was supposed to be his enemy. However, when David received word that the house of Obed-Edom had prospered with the ark, when David received word that things were going good for Obed-Edom with the ark, David goes back to retrieve the ark, the Bible says, with rejoicing. David goes back to retrieve the ark with rejoicing. The sadness was gone. The anger was gone. The frustration was gone. The outrage was gone. The offense was gone. And David went back to retrieve the ark with rejoicing. And David went back with rejoicing. Why? Because David realized that having the ark of God in his presence was a better blessing than ever being without it. Mm. I don't know who needs to hear this word on today. But there are some folks in church who struggle with setting boundaries for themselves, who struggle with resetting expectations of how they are to be handled. We have people who struggle with, with realizing their value, with realizing their, 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 their promise. We have folks who, who, who struggle 
with all of these things that we're talking about today. But we, I need you to hear from me today that we must realize that those who value you, those who value their relationship with you, those who value their access to you, they will not be intimidated by our boundaries. Those who want to keep you in their lives, those who, who, who want to keep you a part of who they are, are not going to be dissuaded by the standards that we set for ourselves. And I need you to understand, beloved, that although David was outraged and offended by God's actions at first, in just three months' time, David got over it. And when David got over it, he went back and inquired of the law about how is the right and proper way to handle the ark of God. Now, God never compromised God's boundaries. Instead, David had to go back and adjust himself so to not offend, mistreat, or mishandle this holy thing. And so, beloved, I'm going to leave you with this. If you get nothing else from my sermon today, just get this, that you are a holy thing. You deserve to be treated with love and respect. You deserve to be handled with care and consideration. And it is God's lesson to us that boundaries are important to a life of faith and that we are allowed, we are empowered to set the standard on how people treat us. We are made in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, we can set boundaries for ourselves in the name of God. And so I'm going to leave you with this, church. I hope that this sermon treated you good. I hope that you heard the word of God speaking to you today. And so I hope that you also go in peace, knowing that you are worthy of love, care, and respect. I want you to go in peace, knowing that you are exactly who you know yourself to be. I pray that you go in peace, knowing not only who you are, but whose you are, and knowing that God will rescue you from all evil and bring you safely into God's heavenly kingdom. And it's to God be the glory forever and ever. And church, let us say together, amen.